0: church and is the church important what what is the church and is the church important if you're a christian tonight what is or what was god doing eh, when he saved you is god's purpose just to kind of save random sort of individual people from different parts of the world over different centuries is that what he's doing or is god doing something else Have you, if you're a Christian, been saved into something? Have you been saved to be a part of something? Is God's actual, is his redemptive plan, the big picture here, is God's plan to build something? Not to save individual people, but to build something, build something marvellous and incredible. Is that what God's doing? What's the church? And is the church... Is it something that's important or not? This evening, we come to uh, an Old Testament prophecy here concerning the city of Jerusalem. Now, what we know, of course, is when we've got such a section in the Old Testament that is dealing with the city of God, what we know is that it has relevance for us. As a a corporate group of believers. You come to a section of scripture concerning Jerusalem in the Old Testament. What you know, what you see are God's plans. God's purposes for, wait a minute, there's application for us as the church of Jesus Christ. Now if you just look at your Bible in front of you, you'll see that this chapter splits into two parts. Okay, like you can kind of fold it over if you want, this chapter. Like you've got, in verse 1 to 5, if you see it there in front of you, you've got, first of all, Zechariah's vision, a vision that he has. But you'll also notice that you've got something different too. Like, you see the section from 6 to 13 there? That's not a vision. In some ways, that is something different. That is a, an oracle, if you like. That's a poem, Okay, so if God, if God has divided this chapter into two, you know, who, who are we to disagree? So this evening, what we'll do this sermon is have two main points to consider. Okay, just the two main points. We're going to follow God's plan and His layout here. So I'll tell you what. Let's make a start. If you haven't, uh, I would ask you to please have uh, Zechariah chapter two open there in front of you. We need to. I mean, in a section like this. In a vision like this, we need to look at this in detail and, and to see see the individual verses. So please have your Bible open. And let's consider firstly, so two headings. First one, let's consider the prophecy of a city without walls. The prophecy of a city without walls. Okay, surely by now... Uh, We've been in Zechariah for a little while. Surely by now, if you've been here for, for this sermon series, you are getting to grips. We're all getting to grips with the historical setting, aren't we, into which this vision, these visions come. This is the 6th century BC, and God, through the prophet Zechariah, is bringing a message, and he's bringing it to his people. Now what do we know about the people? The people have recently returned from exile, captivity. What else do we know about them? Remember this? We know that this message is delivered to the people as they stand amongst the ruins of Jerusalem. Now, we know, don't we, that Jerusalem itself was incredibly important to the Old Testament people of God, wasn't it? I mean, Jerusalem, the city, was the focal point for the people. It was the 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 Davidic capital, wasn't it? It was the geographical center. More than that, though, Jerusalem itself was also the spiritual heart of the people of God, wasn't it? Why? Why? Because God dwelt there, didn't he? That's where the the temple was. So do you see this? Do you see that a prophecy in Zechariah chapter 2 concerning the city, you know, concerning Jerusalem, the people, wow. You know, the people would meet us with enthusiasm, with interest. What was God going to say to us about Jerusalem? That's the question we've got to answer. What is it God's saying? What does Zechariah see here? If you would do me the favor, look at verse 1 here. You know that this prophecy begins with Zechariah saying, it's a man (laughs) with a measuring line in his hand. And does that, I don't know, does that ring a bell? Um, And remember in the previous chapter we've seen a measuring line, a measuring line being stretched out over Jerusalem. Do you see what a measuring line is? Like if you can, you know, can you picture a a builder or a contractor ready to begin a building project? That's what we're dealing with here. This man with a measuring line, do you see what he's about to do? He is about to begin the building, the rebuilding of the city walls of Jerusalem. That's what he's about to do. But look, no sooner has Zechariah seen this man than what happens? The man is interrupted. Now, I, I, I get this. It, it's, it's, it's quite difficult to differentiate the characters in this vision, isn't it? But you need to know that what we've got are three angels here. You've got this, see the man with a measuring line? He's an angel. Got him. And then, do you remember the Fernanda angel we had? Do you remember that? There's an angel that accompanies Zechariah through these visions and interprets everything that he sees. That's the second angel. But there's a third. See, there's a third one who is in verse 3 simply referred to as another angel, okay? And it's that third angel you need to think about because that third angel, he has a message for this man with a measuring line. And do you see what the message is? He says to this man with a measuring line, No, 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 Put your measuring line away. Halt, get rid of that measuring line. Do you see verse 4? He says, run, tell that young man. Jerusalem will be a a city without walls. We don't need your measuring line. Get rid of it. Now, we're seeing the picture building up here. I wonder, though, tonight do you see what's going on here? Do you see the message? This man with a measuring line here is making an assumption. What's he assuming? Do you get it? He is assuming that Jerusalem will be built up according to conventional wisdom isn 't he he 's thinking i 'll get the measuring line out we 'll build up the city walls jerusalem 's going to be a city like any other it 'll be a city built up according to worldly ways and do you see what 's happening here? God is stepping in he is sending this angel, and he is saying no, that is not what is going to happen." Forget your measuring line, put away. Jerusalem will be built up in an entirely different way. And let me pause on that. Friends, do you see the lesson for us as a congregation? Like given the the spiritual darkness of London, and given the spiritual disinterest of let's say the, the rest of the United Kingdom, like most evangelical churches. Are, are really saying, well, okay, what are we gonna do about this? Like, our churches are dying. Like, how do we, how do we grow the church? That's what evangelical churches are asking. Now, the danger with that is that we make the same mistake as this man with the measuring line. We think, ah, we build according to conventional wisdom. That we almost equate building the church with, let's say, building a business. Like, how do we build the church? Oh, I know way eh? Let's get a really nice vision statement. And let's invest an awful lot of money in a slick publicity campaign. And let's make our services a little bit more user-friendly. Get some people in here, make them feel comfortable. And you might say, oh, that sounds okay, and maybe some of that is okay. But do you see the warning in Zechariah chapter 2? God is saying to us here, your city is not built in a worldly way. Your city is built by God himself. Friends, do you want to be involved in the building up of the church? Do you? What we must do, the first thing we must do is bow. We must be on our knees and we must pray. So we see how Jerusalem here was not to be built. But what, what does God want in this vision? What does he say here about the, the building in the city? Note with me, I've mentioned it, I've said it already, but please, we'll keep back, going back to this. Look at the key verse in verse 4, the key phrase. So you've got this other angel, verse 4. What does he say? What does God want? Jerusalem will be a city without walls. Now, what does that mean? You know, When God says he wants his city to be built without walls, what does God want? What does that mean, without walls? Well, we're actually given a couple of reasons here. Now, I'm sure you know what it's like. If you live in London, you know what it's like to go to the extremities of the city. You know what it's like to take a journey to the outskirts of uh, London. When you do that, there's... So much building work going on, isn't there? Like all these sort of former greenfield sites and brownfield sites that are just like that. Suddenly they become a sort of a a building site. Like London, uh, like the population is growing rapidly. You can see it like it's a city that's kind of sprawling out into the countryside, isn't it? Well, do you see that that is exactly the idea that we've Jerusalem is to be a city without walls. Why? Because, look, God is promising here to rapidly increase the population of the city. God is saying here, can't have walls because I'm going to expand the population of Jerusalem. Look at how verse 4 goes on. Look at it. God explains it. Jerusalem will be a city without walls. Why? Look what he says. Because of the great number of men in it. Do you see it? Jerusalem is going to increase. Now, we know that in the years immediately after this prophecy, that this prophecy was in part fulfilled. So, you got it? You're, You're picturing the fact that this is into ruins in the city in Jerusalem. In the years after Zechariah, what God does is build up the city and the, the population does increase but come on I mean I'm asking you just now to think bigger will you just now please with me think scripturally do you see how this prophecy of an expanding city of God do you see how it reaches its real fulfillment in the New Testament I mean, friends what happens in the New Testament what happens Jesus comes. He lives, he dies, he rises, he ascends to glory. What does he do just before he ascends to glory? He says to his church, he charges his church with, with gospel growth. My question to you is, where does that growth begin? Where does the New Testament church begin? Where does it begin? It begins in Jerusalem. And what happens? Do you see what happens? Look, if there's any church in the whole universe that should know the theme verse of Acts, It's our congregation. What happens? The church begins in Jerusalem and it expands out. It sprawls out of Jerusalem to where? To all Judea and all Samaria. And then what happens? The church keeps, keeps, keeps growing to all the ends of the earth. Do you see the glory in this? Do you see that today, today, this prophecy is being fulfilled. Do you see that we are the fulfillment of this prophecy? Do you see that the city of God has grown? The city with walls, it's, it's us. It has to be us because God is adding a multitude to us by his saving grace. It's increasing. No walls. We can't have walls. It increases. But there's a second reason given for the lack of walls now, I see this often, especially when we're in Old Testament prophecy like this. But I think it's helpful to, for us to place ourselves in the shoes of the people who are receiving this vision. Do you see what it would have been like for them? They're in Jerusalem. And they hear, first of all, God is going to prosper us as a city. They rejoice. Okay? You can see that. they come back, and they're struggling, and they're encouraged. But think about it. What they're hearing here. <laughs> they are hearing that this is going to be a city without walls. Now, they do you remember what we saw? We saw that they came back from captivity, and they found that their enemies had come and lived in the land. Now, do you see what they're thinking here? They're thinking, wait a minute, a city without walls? That leaves us exposed, doesn't it? I mean, to a city without walls, we are going to face imminent attack and danger, are we not? And friends, do you see here how God encourages them? Look at what he says in verse 5. He says, Jerusalem will be a city without walls. Why? You see it? I myself will be a wall of fire. it." Right. And you need to know tonight... That, that is covenantal language god is saying i myself he is saying the languages i am the great i am will come and will dwell amongst you and i will be the one who protects you and keeps you secure and it's lovely isn't it can you imagine those people hearing that i will be I will be your wall, the wall of the city. Do you see tonight what that means for us? I mean, it, it means that this city, this church that is expanding to all the nations of the world, God is promising just now, this will expand and I will increase it. But more than that, I'm going to protect it. You know, it's mine. I am going to keep it secure. Isn't it, isn't it glorious? But more than that, When you take this section, this vision, all as a a oneer here, are you not left breathless? I mean, do you not wonder anew at God's redemptive plan? The the scale of it and, and, and the majesty of what God... You see, he's not just saving you. He isn't just saving you. He's not saving just individuals. He, do you see? He's doing something much bigger than that. He's doing something much greater than God. He's, he's building a community that stretches into every nation and people group on earth. I mean, he's building this, this city that is beautiful, a city that he himself protects more than that. Do you see what we've got here? A city that he himself illumines. That Christ by his own glory. I think, honestly, I think tonight this vision should fill us with love. Love for God, definitely. You know, love for Christ. That Christ's death has made this possible. But maybe unbelievably, I think this vision should fill us with love for the church of Jesus Christ himself. So a prophecy of a city without walls. Secondly, remember, two headings. This is the second heading. Note the implications of a city without walls. We've seen a prophecy. Now we think about the implications of a city without walls. This next bit is entirely different to anything we have encountered so far in Zechariah. If somebody was to say to you tomorrow, which I'm sure won't happen, but at work tomorrow, if somebody goes up to you and says, what are the first couple of chapters of Zechariah about? Uh, What would you say? You would say, it's all visions. Isn't it? Like so far? Like we've seen what? We've seen like myrtle trees. and We've seen horses. And we've seen horns measuring lines and so forth. This is different. Six to thirteen in front of you. The genre dramatically changes. And now what we've got is a poem. Okay, this is an oracle. This is a proclamation from God and it's a proclamation in two parts. Okay, so firstly, first of all, note this. Let's see what God says about the judgment of the nations. That's the first part here, the judgment of the nations. Now, I've said before, a few weeks ago, I said that um, my son, Colin, is going through a bit of a drawing phase. Which is just, honestly, is an understatement of what's going on in the house, you know. It's just an obsession would be closer to the truth, you know. Everything is about pens and paper. and So because of this obsession with drawing, what we're getting them to do as a family is to make a collage. He's like, we'll give him a bit of A4 paper and he will draw in detail, a uh, part of a scene. Then we'll give him another bit of A4 paper and he can do the next part of the scene and what we'll do is we'll kind of just build it up and there'll be this big, bit too big, big clash. Do you see? I hope you see that that's what's happening in Zechariah. Do you see that? Like we've already heard in Zechariah that God is going to act in judgment over the nations. We saw that. Do you remember the craftsman from last time out? God's going to... But do you see that that was the first page of A4 paper? Do you see that? And do you see that here, God is adding a next bit of A4 paper? This, now tonight, there's an expansion of what that judgment means. Look what we're told in verse 8. We're told that the judgment is going to happen out of a concern for God's own glory. We're, even, we're getting the motivation for God's judgment here. And it's a judgment out of his love for his people. We're even told here, see the is building up, we're even told here how the judgment's going to come about. That it's going to be a big reversal. God is going to take the slaves of his enemies and they are the ones who are going to rise up against his enemies. You're with me? We're getting a picture of judgment. The question, of course, is... The question you may be asking is... Andy, so what? There's a picture of judgment here. So what? Like, what? what, what is the application of this? Well, I think what we could do legitimately tonight... Is we could point... We show how this judgment here anticipates God's final judgment on sin and sinners. Instead, you know what we need to do tonight? We need to know what God commands of us in light of the judgment. Do you see the imperatives that are here? What does God say to his people in light of the judgment? Look at verse 6. What does God say? He says, flee out of the land of the north. In light of my judgment, flee. Look at verse seven. What does he say? He says, come, O Zion, and escape. Escape, friends. Do you see who he's writing to? Do you see who is he writing to? God is speaking to his people who were still in Babylon. See, it's an amazing thing to think about. But when the Persians came into Babylon and they freed all of the people of Israel and they said to them, you're free, you can return home. The amazing thing is that very, very few of God's people return to the land. Do you not find that quite incredible? Imagine it. You're in captivity. Somebody comes along and says, actually, you're free now. You can to your people. You can return to your home. And you say, thanks. Thanks. Uh, But no, I'm going to stay here. Do you see why it was? The people of God had become comfortable in Babylon. The people of God had put their roots down with their enemies. The people of God were suddenly sort of materially quite well off in Babylon. So they're given this opportunity to stay and they say, okay. And what is God's warning here? He says, get out of there. Flee. I am going to judge the wicked. I am going to judge sinners. Get out of there as quickly as you can. Friends, I mean this. I think that this tonight could not be more relevant for us as a congregation. Is it? Is it not true? Is it not the case for us that some of us are way way too comfortable in this world isn't it true that some of us have really put down our roots in Babylon that we like it amongst our enemies that we like the darkness of this city, that we are too relaxed, too comfortable that we have settled friends, do you hear what God is saying to you in Zechariah chapter 2 He is saying, return to the land. He is saying, come to me. He is saying, leave Babylon and involve yourselves in the building up of the city of God. So there's a word here about the judgment of the nations. The second implication with which we will close tonight is to see the word about the salvation of the nations. So we've seen the judgment of the nations. The last thing to say, to see, is the word here about the salvation of the nations. I've, uh, I've alluded to this already. I think we have to appreciate it to, to understand these verses. Jerusalem's important. Why? Okay, it's the geographical focal points. The capital of the land, great. Why is Jerusalem really important to these people? Because this is the dwelling place of God. So they're dejected, they're miserable, they're crying in the ruins of Jerusalem, not because they've lost their homes. They're crying because the temple of God has been destroyed, and it is in ruins. God's abandoned them, so they think. So what we need to see is that the very close of this oracle, from verse 10 to 13, is the peak. (laughs) It is the apex and the high point of everything that's said here. Why? Why is 10 to 13 so important? Because here the people learn that God hadn't forsaken them. That God was going to return to their city. That despite all their wickedness, their disobedience, their covenant unfaithfulness, look... God was going to return, and he was going to live amongst them. Now, in verse 11, we see an implication of God's return for the nations around them. Look what it says in verse 11. So God's going to come. He promises he's going to return. What's the implication, the consequence for the nations? Do you see it in verse 11? I'm going to return Many nations will be joined with the Lord in that day. Do you see what that means? If you take a full biblical perspective on that verse, it means that it was always God's plan, always God's plan for the nations to inhabit Jerusalem. Always His plan. Now, I'm scratching my head Always God's plan for the nations to inhabit Jerusalem. Now, this is a, what is this? This is a prophecy. How is it fulfilled? I mean, when were the nations incorporated to Jerusalem? When is, has this been fulfilled? Has this been fulfilled? The nations inhabit in Jerusalem? Friends, I want to ask you this. Who's speaking at that point? Verse 11, let me suggest to you that it is the other angel. It is that third angel. I want to ask you, do you see, and we've done this before, do you see who that is, that third angel? I mean, an angel that can command the other angels, as he's done here already? An angel that can speak of acting in judgment? An angel that can speak both of being sent by God and an angel that can speak of being the dwelling place of God. He says, I will dwell amongst you. Do you see who this is? This is surely the same angel that sat upon those horses in the myrtle trees. Surely this angel... Is the angel of the Lord, a pre-incarnate vision of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we see that, we understand that what you've got here is a prophecy of Bethlehem, isn't it? A time when the Lord would come and do what? What happened at Bethlehem? How does John put it in his prologue? A time when the Word would... The Word would what? The Word would what? Become flesh and same language exactly the same language as here and he would dwell amongst us and because of that do you see how the incorporation of the nations is fulfilled here do you see it beginning at Pentecost because of what Christ Jesus has done the way of salvation is opened up to all the nations of the of Christ. The gospel goes out unhindered by ethnicity, unhindered by nationality. Do you see this? Truly the Lord dwells with us and truly the city becomes a city available for all. Now this is marvelous. I mean this God's redemptive plan is a big, big plan. But what we must do tonight is pay attention to what God commands of us in light of this plan. I say to you again, look at the imperatives. Look at the start of verse 10. Look at the start of verse 13. What are you told to do? In light of this plan, shout and be glad. Verse 13, what are we to do? We are to be still before the Lord. Do you see? It is, it is postures. It is expressions of worship. Given the plan that God has for the nations in salvation, tonight we are to worship Jesus. That's what we are supposed to do. We are to delight in our God. Friend, I ask you this evening, do you in Zechariah see more clearly the wonder the majesty of the church? Do you see that? do you see that Do you see what it is that you are a part of? Do you see that God hasn't just saved you individually? You're not just saved and that you are saved into something incredible tonight i I think for all its faults, and there are many as Christians. We should love the church. For it is something you see here that is planned by Jesus. It is something purchased by his blood. Friends, we rejoice. We are not individuals. Who are we? We are a people. Is that what we're gonna say? We are a city, a city without walls. Let's pray.